This week on The Book Trap, we talk about animal books, bathtub reads, and laser scarecrows, and we fan over our favorite famous animals for Query of the Week. This is The Book Trap. Hello and welcome to The Book Drop, Omaha Public Library's podcast about books, our community, and the joy of reading. I'm Erin Dewar, the Readers and Writers Librarian for OPL, and you can find me at the main library downtown. Hi, Michelle Carlson, Book Club Librarian, and I work at Willa Cather Branch. Uh, hello, my name is David Dick. I'm an adult services specialist. Uh, most of the time at, I'm at Abraham's. Sometimes I uh, fill in at Benson. Hey, this is Anna Wilcoxon. I came back um, at <laughs> the Mahal Library, and I work as a diversity and inclusion librarian for the system. All right. So um, today, uh, if anyone has seen the episode title, we're talking about animals. So I figured I would give everyone an update on Bobby, my dog, who uh, we adopted last year during uh, during the pandemic. Um, we have had her for almost a year now. And so we had her first annual vet appointment to, you know, get all of her boosters that she got at the shelter. And she was a very well-behaved dog for the vet. In fact, so well-behaved with getting three shots and blood drawn and getting her mouth and ears poked around uh, in that the vet wrote in her official records, very good. So <laughs> Bobby has been medically diagnosed as a very good girl. So everyone congratulate her. Good job, Bobby. Just Medicine verifying we all already knew that yeah yeah girl. they're all good girls and good boys yeah, yeah. <laughs> um if I may what you s- sounds exactly like McKinnon's 12-month appointment so that's <laughs> hilarious like literally three vaccines some blood draw poking his ears and mouth it's <laughs> hilarious but I'm glad Bobby's good yeah he probably doesn't get treats though like when he goes no. to the doctor there's no like jar of cookies for, for he does get a book he got a book <gasps> oh, yeah that's, that's adorable of, uh-huh they get a book at every appointment I think until they're five yeah. that's Something lovely like that. yeah yeah it's a very good doctor too then. good job yeah. doctor. well I think it's all children's um location so yeah it's a good program awesome We're going to talk real quick about stuff that's coming up at the library. Just a reminder that it is summer, which means it's summer reading time. If you read 10 hours, you can get a prize. Kids get a couple things extra. So register online at omahalibrary.org and track your reading for the summer. And also a reminder that our next The Book Drop Book Club is coming up in July. We're reading The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. So if you want to grab that book and read it with us, you can listen to the episode when it drops in a few weeks. So Anna, what are we talking about today? We're talking about animals. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is one of our reading challenges. It's just simply to read a book about an animal. Um, And this also kind of ties in with our summer reading theme of tales with an I and tales with an E. So any books about animals qualify for this challenge. and I think you'll get a pretty good idea of the, the range that you can cover in this kind of topic from the books that we're going to talk about. It could be a book about a specific animal, about a whole type of animals. It can be fiction, nonfiction. We don't care how it relates to anything animal. It just needs to relate somehow to 
an animal. So um, yeah, reading challenge to read a book about animals. Hopefully we give you some good ideas for that today. And I'm going to start with one book that I, it was maybe one of the best books I've read this year. Um, it's World of Wonders by Amy Nozuku Motatel. Um, I had to look that up a bunch of times before <laughs> I tried to pronounce it. Um, it came out in 2021. And uh, it's a series of small little essays. Author is one of those folks who's also a poet. So it's a really like lyrical, thoughtful, um, very like measured and like nicely paced writing. It felt like a very like, it's kind of like a bathtub sort of read. It just felt like comforting and like soaking in a tub of like warm bubbly water um so she shares her experience with and her knowledge of individual animals or plants um, or something from the natural world in each chapter and the result is a mix of memoir and nature writing so she is the daughter of an indian dad and a filipina mom and both of her parents um were medical professionals and so she spent her childhood really moving around the country a whole bunch from like residency to residency or different schools or different careers um, and she was frequently the only brown kid in a room full of, of white people. So a lot of the um, anecdotes are about identity in terms of that and also about uh, motherhood. She um, becomes a mom at some point in this book. So she talks about that experience too. And because of that, the trajectory of moving around, she really finds herself connecting to nature in all of its different forms. And that's what kind of grounds her to whatever place that she's at and gives her something to kind of hold on to and feel connected with, even if everything else seems kind of unwelcoming in that environment. So I think, like I said, like this was like a kind of a bathtub feeling book to me. I felt like it was a really like soothing experience and also qualities that maybe a star fruit or an octopus or a whale shark might have. So you find yourself making connections to these really wildly different living things just in ways you would never expect to connect. And I really loved that about the book. Yeah, I just, I, I put it down and I felt like this renewed sense of connection to the world around me and its inhabitants. And I'm a pretty like hippie, dippy nature kind of person anyway. So this just like really um, reawoken those kinds of feelings of like tenderness and appreciation for all of the strange and beautiful and just weird things that all of us creatures do and how we live. So if that kind of book appeals to you, pick this one up. Um, other read-alikes might be The Moon by Whale Light by Diane Ackerman or Upstream by Mary Oliver. And this is World of Wonders by Amy Nuzukumutatl. And it has also a really, really beautiful cover too. It has really charming illustrations throughout. So if you see it, you'll want to read it no matter what I just said anyway, probably. So that's my animal book for you. I love the idea of a bathtub read. Yeah. Now I just yeah. like want to make a list of bathtub <laughs> reads. Yeah. That could be a future episode. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thanks. Just don't drop your books in the water. Please. Risky. Definitely happens. Which is why I, I have stayed away from doing that, but. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Anna. Yes. I found this challenging, this challenge interesting for me because I realized that I don't consume a lot of animal books or like movies because animals are so often used as like a plot device. They often don't make it. I have like, so if there's like a new movie trailer where it's like about an animal, I'm like, nope, <laughs> no watching it. So I also don't read a ton unless I totally like trust the author or the animals not being used in that way. There's a bunch of really mm. beautiful animal stories, but I just 
unless I know they're going to make it or it's totally worth it. I just can't do it. So my first one is Wooly, the true story of the quest to revive one of history's most iconic extinct creatures by Ben Mesrick. This is a technically nonfiction book, which I'll talk about in a second. It's a wild ride essentially about genetic research. Um, it's the story of Dr. George Church and a team of young scientists working to resurrect the woolly mammoth and it, ideally other extinct creatures eventually through the use of like splicing recovered mammoth DNA with that of living elephants. That sounds familiar. It's Jurassic Park, but this is based on like real science. So this is considered nonfiction. Ben Mesrick wrote Accidental Billionaires, which is what the social network is based on. He also wrote a book that the movie uh, 21 is based on. And both of those movies, if you've seen them, are like very frenetic and like crazy energy. And that kind of is the same vibe as his writing. He's as a nonfiction writer, he um, uses what he calls like dramatic narrative nonfiction. So he recreates dialogue and also in this book imagines future scenes, which is like mm -hmm. a... If you're really stuck on nonfiction, it might rub you the wrong way because some of it essentially is technically made up, but it is, there's like this through like true thread through the middle of it, which is really interesting. But the book itself is just like Jurassic Park, but with woolly mammoths and in the end, obviously we haven't made woolly mammoths, so you know that didn't happen, but it is just really, really fun. Uh, a couple read likes if you like this or if it sounds interesting that are probably a little bit more <laughs> real based also nonfiction how to build a dinosaur um, extinction doesn't have to be forever by jack horner who was my favorite paleontologist as a kid and he's a guy that dr grant is based on a Jurassic park <laughs> um it's basically the same thing it's about these scientists working to or using the idea of like re reverse engineering a chicken and maybe that's the most likely way that we would bring back dinosaurs. So there's just really interesting genetic science stuff. I also recommend The Dinosaur Artist by Paige Williams, which I think I've talked about before. And The Feather Thief is another like narrative nonfiction that fits in this that the birds aren't in that one, but it's about birds kind of. So that was Wooly, The True Story of the Quest to Revive One of History's Most Iconic Extinct Creatures by Ben Mesrick. Michelle. Okay, so before I start talking about my book, I have like a little subject tangent to go on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, earlier this week, uh, Aaron and I and a couple coworkers were able to attend Virtual Book Fest, um, which was uh, two days jam packed of other people book talking and new books, and it was very overwhelming, <laughs> but really fun. Um, and I hope one day this will be in person because I think it would be. Uh, more fun that way because yeah virtual conferencing is like I was exhausted yeah it was like, very exhausting this was the point in the pandemic where I was like oh I miss in-person events this is a great yeah. event but I was like no yeah. I want to go back to being stuffed in a conference center with people yes exactly <laughs> yeah um well one of the panels that I uh watched I was gonna say sat in on but you know what I mean <laughs> uh, what's about uh short fiction writers I really love short stories and essay collections. And so it was really fun to hear these people talk about um, reading short fiction. And one of the guest questions was, um, how do you get somebody to read short fiction if they don't like reading short stories? And I just thought, like, I've never thought about that before. And one of the authors had a genius answer. And it said, 
well, make sure they're reading something that they want to read, i.e. something that's in their genre. And so um, just as a tip for all of you, it's, it's, if you are looking for short fiction, I know sometimes we say it's a great way to dabble into a new genre, you know, to read some like short fantasy stories if you're not really into fantasy. But you don't need to do that. You can go and still read your, your same genre that you normally read in long form fiction in short doses. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there. Uh, the panel is also super inspiring. One of the authors, Claire Boyles, who has a book coming out in September, I believe, called Sight Fidelity. It took her eight years to write. She was working on a master's and raising children at the time. And so I was like, you know what? Maybe I, one day my short book of essays that I have had on my back burner for ages will one day become a real thing. So anyways, it was just wanted to share that with you about short stories as I share with you one of my fa favorite short story collections that I read this year, which is Animal Spirit uh, by Francesca Marciano. And so um, if you are looking for a way to just like truly escape from it all, which I know we are all still wanting, even though technically you can go other places, but you're probably not traveling internationally right now. Um, and so this book will take you there into many exotic European locations. Um, and it's also going to explore the idea of how animals change the, change the dynamic of our human interactions. So this book is really focused on the human animal connection and how we can um, survive together and um, have similarities in personalities and all these other types of characteristics. So um, in the title story, Animal Spirit, uh, two couples are on vacation in Greece and it's a bit fraught in their relationships. So on their way back, there's a from a very awkward dinner, they run into um, a stray dog in the street. And so they have to make the hard choice of what to do with the dog. Do they take them, the dog home? Do they leave him in the road? Um, and this whole uh, conversation that they have changes their whole vacation and their connection with each other, which is really fascinating how something so simple can really just change everything. There's another story about um, this a uh, young woman who uh, runs away from, or not exactly runs away from her family, but she just doesn't want to live at that house anymore. She had come back for a wedding. Nobody was really nice to her. So she runs off with this man that she just met uh, to join the circus of all things. And so she learns to become a like snake charmer. And so it's also this really interesting, um, is allegory the right word or just metaphor for, snakes and human beings and stuff if you can kind of think about that dynamic there so um i just truly really fell in love with marciano's writing it's uh simplistic but there's so much depth to it um and so just it felt it feels like watching a movie and so if anybody is a fan of literary dramas and you kind of like some sarcasm with it um then and also just some really compelling and memorable stories, I really recommend you pick up Animal Spirit by Francesca Marciano. Nice. David. Okay. So I really uh, leaned into uh, my habits as a niche reader for both of my picks. I am going to start with uh, Me and Mr. Cigar by Gib uh, Gibby Haynes. This is the fiction debut of underground rock legend uh, Gibby Haynes. He's the lead vocalist 
of a uh, kind of psychedelic and punk band, both the genres at the same time, called the Butthole Surfers. And I love just being able to say the uh, name of that band on the podcast, the Butthole Surfers. Uh, they're, they were a really uh, weird and abrasive band who would display like uh, gross medical photos behind them as they performed. Uh, it's that kind of music. And the premise of the book is that Oscar Lester, a teenage drug dealer, uh, has a clairvoyant dog named Mr. Cigar, and they have to rescue his sister uh, who has uh, fled Texas after the dog bit her hand off uh, years prior. And now she's being held for ransom. And while they're going to uh, rescue Oscar's sister, they're being uh, tracked by uh, shadowy government agents that claim that Mr. Cigar is government property. It, this book is as weird and out there as the um, uh, Butthole Surfer's music. Uh, Haynes himself had a dog named Mr. Cigar when he was a teenager and he even wrote a song about him on their, um, which album was that? Electric Larry Land album. And, uh, <laughs> Oh, I love them so much. It reads a lot like a, J a YA uh, version of J.G. Ballard for reluctant readers. And I mean that in the best possible way. So if you can imagine that, uh, that's what it is. It is a good book for the reading challenge, not only for a book about animals, but it was a top shelf pick. Uh, Colby Jenkins, the uh, senior clerk at Washington, picked it uh, before I did. So I had to pick other top shelf books. So it's recommended by some of the some of the weird rock stars of Omaha Public Library. And I have a read-alike, if you would like it, which is Blood's a Rover by Harlan Ellison. It is also a story of a teenage anti-hero and his psychic dog. So yeah, this is Me and Mr. Cigar by Gibby Haynes. I think this is one of the first YA books I've recommended in an episode that wasn't about YA also. <laughs> Anna. Well, I have to follow that, I guess. Um, so... I'm going to talk about a book called Parakeet by Marie-Hélène Bertino. It came out just this year, and it is a character-driven, magical realist kind of story. It's about a woman that's about to get married, and she's wondering what that all really means. Um, she works with brain injury victims to remember their lives, and she's not sure if she loves her husband. She has PTSD herself from a violent physical attack she suffered years before, and she's really clumsily navigating her way through life and her relationships with all of her friends and family. She just is on really confused ground. Um, so the story begins with the return of her dead grandmother and she arrives in the form of a parakeet. And even though she is a parakeet in form, uh, the, the character, her, she's never really named in the book. She's just referred to as the bride. So the bride um, knows it's her grandmother and her grandmother has died like 10 years before. It's not like a recent, thing but um her grandma shows up in the form of a parakeet and she takes this development in stride but she's deeply perplexed by what the parakeet slash grandmother tells her which is do not get married and go find your brother and that sets off the the chain of events that the novel progresses through um parakeets will show up in a couple different forms throughout the book at first i was kind of like this seems arbitrary but they do like mean a little bit more to her than um it initially might seem in the book and over the course of the novel we also learned that maybe this like the parakeet's also really sassy like it's a very like um kind of tough love uh grandma and that may be the only kind of love she's ever really known um so the entirety of the book takes place over this week before the wedding and it culminates with that event and 
lots of big, big themes are dealt with like memory, alienation, trauma, identity, love, loss. They're all touched on throughout this book. And they're all presented also with like a nice mix of like absurdity and realism and complexity. Um, it's a pretty introspective read, but it has some moments of humor and it just really delves into like this, this particular woman's way of navigating the world um, with the help of parakeet guide a little bit. Um, so if you uh, are curious about this book, some other read likes that might uh, go along in the same vein are Ele Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman and The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake by Amy Bender. And that's Parakeet by Marie Helen Bertino. Nice. I like a sassy parakeet. <laughs> uh, this is weird, but I'm going to talk about a kid's book. I'm going to talk about Smart About Sharks by Owen Davey. I was looking through like forthcoming books recently, and this is part of a series, and the artwork just caught my eye. It's this whole series about animals, and it's kind of this retro illustration style with a bit of a muted palette. It reminds me of a lot of, um, if anybody's seen like old Audubon art by like Charlie Harper, I think, which is who I really like, which is why I think it stuck out to me. So I was like, I'm going to find these other books. So the one I found was Smart About Sharks. It is a juvenile nonfiction book. It's about the size of a picture book, but it is pretty text heavy. So it is more like elementary school or adults. It's a good way to learn information, as we talked about before for nonfiction. It's just filled with facts and information about all different types of sharks. And it's got a lot of like puns and... <laughs> cute uh, headings and stuff. My favorite fact from it is that there is a little shark called the cookie cutter shark who bites onto other big like whales or other sharks, bites into the side of their bodies and then turns around in a circle and cuts out a circular chunk of their skin to eat. And he's tiny. And you can see these like scars <laughs> on Michelle's like face. You can see these scars on like other sharks' bodies. <laughs> but it's got such a cute name. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. So it's filled with like just really cool information like that. Um, there's it's part of the whole series. Like I said, the other ones are that we have at the library are obsessive about octopuses, bonkers about beetles, crazy about cats. There's mad about monkeys. So if you have a kid or if you just want to learn some really fun facts about animals with beautiful illustrations, I would recommend the series. And this one is smart about sharks by Owen Davey. I feel like with, Ellie being on vacation, this really brought the spirit of Ellie into, into this podcast. <laughs> Someone's got to talk about fish, but like, you got to talk about ocean things. <laughs> Ellie has a activity set up in the break room at Abraham's where it's rating sharks. So I developed criteria, but yeah, for my own ratings. Yeah. Oh my gosh, please send pictures. Yeah, so it's like, I, you know, it's out of, t out of 10. So like I, I rated the goblin shark 10 out of 10, for example. Um, best shark but yeah I would do it like we like dogs everybody's like a 12 out of 10 they're all yes. good boys and girls <laughs> I love that it's a good meter yeah okay so um well I'm glad we were talking about children's books with amazing illustrations because that's also what I'm bringing to the table today and that is A Wild Child's Guide to Endangered Animals by Millie Marata. And um, it definitely caught my eye because, again, it's just one of those books with really gorgeous illustrations. Um, and so it's the illustration of an endangered animal and then a short text about the animal and why they are in the endangered category. Like what's going on in their world, their habitat, 
um, that is putting them in danger. There's 43 animals uh, represented in the book, and it's really broken up in this cool way, too, to help your brain kind of remember things. So it has the freshwater, oceans, forests, mountains, tundra, desert, grasslands, and wetlands. So you kind of go through these main areas and learn about those different animals and why they are endangered. And some are critically endangered and some are not. One of my personal faves was a pangolin, which one, I just love saying that. And two, it's like this adorable, almost armadillo looking thing. Look it up. We have other books that are just about pangolins, but I also just love saying that word. So the illustrations are truly breathtaking. Um, and it's really celebrating these animals, which I appreciate too. Um, and you're going to learn about how they live, what their threat is, and what is being done about it. So just a real celebration of that animal kingdom. And that is a wild child's guide to endangered animals. The word pangolin reminds me of, there was some penguin doc that Benedict Cumberbatch narrated. And on some late night show, they like pulled all the audio because as he goes through the the documentary, he starts mispronouncing penguin. Shut up. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he's like, ping, penguin, ping, penguin. It's like, he just gets weirder and weirder. I, yeah, I can relate when you start saying a word over and over it. It loses its meaning. <laughs> I like that word too. Yeah. David. All right. I'm going to keep being weird here. My next pick is Green Millennium by Fritz Leiber. Uh, the premise of this book is in a dystopian America, uh, Phil Gish wakes up after taking too many sleeping pills to a green cat that puts out a psychic calming aura. The cat vanishes shortly thereafter, and Phil has to navigate a world of government agents mobsters, corporate enforcers, spies, and burglars to get his new cat back. This was published in 1953 during the height of paranoia with McCarthyism in the Cold War, and there are parts of it that have aged depressingly well, like there's uh, a government agency called the Federal Bureau of Loyalty, there's a corporate um, entity called Fun Corp, which controls way too much of society, there's a paternalistic and cheesily religious president, and then there are parts that remind you, hey, this was written in the 50s, like how Russia and the KGB are written. Um, Weiber was famous for writing uh, women characters as rounded people, as opposed to a lot of other his, of his contemporaries in Pulp, but um, some of that is still written in 1953, so your mileage may vary. Um, I'm a big fan of Weiber, uh, have been ever since I started reading him. He was a groundbreaker in the sword and sorcery genre. He was a fencer. Uh, he was an anti-fascist who was who started out as a pacifist and then joined uh, the American army during World War II because he didn't like Nazis. He was a wife guy and he was a big fan of cats. Like he wrote multiple short stories about cats. And yeah, he was a writer in the pulps who just was really technically proficient at writing really gripping pose, just writing in a scene that was having him produce fiction that was largely seen as disposable. So he probably thought no one would keep reading uh, everything that he put so much work into. So it's uh, really kind of kind of cool that some of his stuff has endured. And as someone who, ha um, my pets have helped me through mental health crises, not to the extent of Phil Gish, but I found this pretty relatable. Like, see, but yeah, the supernatural nature of the cat in the story is an exaggeration of like the real feeling of peace and comfort that I have experienced when uh, my cats fall asleep in my lap, uh, purring, you know, just bring, bringing me down from like a panic. And I have realized through this activity that independently, a subgenre that I read is kind of like science fiction about psychic pets that uh, sh the shadow government is trying to kidnap. Um, 
That is that is a subgenre of books that I like. Who knew that even existed? I'm glad you found it. So yeah, that is The Green Millennium by my hero, Fritz Leiber. I have two notes. Your picks are very on brand for you this week, David. I feel like very David yeah. picks. And two, animals just know, like, I've been sick or I've had something wrong with my body that's not visible, and my dog will go and rest their head there. Like, they, they're aware, they're empathetic from how, I mean, I, they probably have certain senses that we don't, and they just know, and it's really sweet. A really sweet book for, like, a science fiction <laughs> absurdist satire, right. too, so, <laughs> yeah. in some regards, Yeah. <laughs> Anybody got any extra picks they want to throw out? So I'm going to share two books that I have not read because I just learned th- about them at BookFest. Going to kind of read off some of like the publisher description a little bit. Um, and so one, have any of you guys ever read any Mary Roach? Stiff, bonk, gold. I have not, but I request this arc that you're going to talk yeah. about. <laughs> yeah. So um, she's a prolific science a comedy writer like I think it's almost a way to kind of describe her and so she has a new book coming out called fuzz when nature breaks the law and so it's one of these books that's kind of meeting our book about animals connection in in some way you can stretch it in that way so uh it's an irresistible irresistible investigation into the unpredictable world where wildlife and humans meet so it's combining little known forensic science and conservation genetics with a motley cast of laser scarecrows, langur impersonators, and trespassing squirrels, Roach reveals as much about humanity as about nature's lawbreakers. When it comes to, quote, problem wildlife, she finds humans are more often the problem and the solution. So it's fascinating, witty, and humane. Fuzz offers hope for compassionate coexistence in our ever-expanding human habitat. And so that just sounded really good. Yeah. I would read that just to find out what laser scarecrows are. Right? What is a laser scarecrow? (laughs) Absolutely. Laser scarecrows. I'm so excited. Yes. (laughs) And another from a debut author um, is Fox and I, An Uncommon Friendship by Catherine Raven. And so it's in quoted as a unforgettable memoir about the friendship between a solitary woman and a wild fox. Um, Fuzz is not yet in our catalog um, because it does not come out for, I think, until November or something like that. So it'll be there soon, though, because it's Mary Roach and (laughs) we'll definitely be getting her books. So and The Fox and I is available now. We're just breezing through this episode. Yeah. Also, which I totally forgot to mention at the top that Ellie's not here today. She's not going to pop in like at the end or anything. She just like ghosted us for the week. (laughs) She's just not here today. (laughs) Well, then let's get on to Query of the Week, which I'm very excited to talk about. (laughs) Every week, we will pick a question, pose it to each other and our listeners, and people can pop in with their answers on social media or via email. The question this week is, who or what is your favorite famous animal? Anna, who's your favorite, favorite famous animal? Yeah, I could only think of one famous animal because very much like you, Erin, I like totally avoid animal stories for the most part because they're too often too traumatic. But I, so little Sebastian from Parks and (laughs) Rec is my favorite famous animal. He's an adorable horse who's famous only for being an adorable little horse. So 
And also, no, I, like, since I've been thinking about him for this episode, I've had that dang song in my head, <laughs> just on repeat. Yeah. So bye-bye, little Sebastian. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> also, fun fact, little Sebastian was played by Gideon. It's his real name. <laughs> oh. Gideon. Love it. David, who's yours? Oh, okay. So there is a uh, Instagram famous cat named Smudge, little uh, little white cat um, with a very expressive face that most people probably know from a specific meme, which is the woman yelling at cat meme, where you can see, you know, like uh, a woman from, I think it was one of the Real Housewives shows, you know, like yelling and pointing a finger. And then someone juxtaposed it just with this picture of this cat looking kind of confused, kind of angry, possibly hissing at a plate full of vegetables. <laughs> And so, yeah, Smudge, that uh, the cat from the woman yelling at cat meme is uh, my favorite famous animal. I did not know their name. So thank you for sharing. <laughs> uh, Michelle. Yeah, well, I'm really glad that Anna shared about little Sebastian, because if you love horses, then you're going to and love a mini horse. Who doesn't love a mini cow? And that is Moochie the cow, which I found on Instagram a couple maybe more than a couple years ago and have been following them ever since. And they are this adorable, fuzzy, fluffy mini cow that goes galloping across their little pasture. And is just so dang cute and cuddles with their little humans. And I'm obsessed. Moochie the cow. And that is their handle also. His legs are so little. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do follow a lot of animals on Instagram. I do enjoy that part of the internet. Um, it is sad when we lose them, but yeah. they do bring me a lot of joy while they're here. I think my ultimate favorite is Fiona, the hippopotamus, mm -hmm. who was born prematurely at the Cincinnati Zoo. She became internet famous like immediately because she was a tiny hippo is very, very cute. And she's just kind of like a little blob. And she like beat the odds grew up i think she, i feel like she's gonna be smaller than the average hippo because she was born prematurely and i think she was like the first one born in captivity at that zoo in like 75 years so she is just an amazing but she's really cute internet famous you should follow cincinnati zoo and you get to see her and a bunch of other animals that they're really good at their social media so that is my favorite and there's lots of books written about her yeah there's picture books there's so and stuff many. so go check those out one of my really like recent faves is Tika the Greyhound. Has anybody seen Tika? Mm -mm. Oh, just look up Tika. What's Tika's handle? <laughs> She's a fashion influencer. She's a fashion influencer. She's the if you saw the meme like loved it, couldn't wear it video. If you've seen okay, that's like what made Tika famous is there's this video of Tika like wearing their different outfits and just the voiceover is Loved it. Couldn't wear it. Loved it. Couldn't wear it. <laughs> I, I think I, I think I found it. She <laughs> yeah. has two dads. I don't know if one of them is in fashion and they just, her outfits are insane. And she just like blew up a couple months ago on the internet and has been all over the place and just everything is on point. <laughs> wow. She's been on magazine covers. She's amazing. <laughs> wow. So that's my shout out for her too. That's a good one. Yeah. Okay. That is our episode we'll post our next query up on facebook and you can drop us your answers there or at the book drop at omahalibrary.org 
We'll link all of our books that we talked about and any Instagram handles that we have for famous animals uh, in the episode description. And that's our episode. Thanks for joining us on The Book Drop. The Book Drop is produced by Omaha Public Library. Our theme music is Trapped in Amber, courtesy of the band Lucid Fugue. Don't forget to subscribe to The Book Drop on your favorite podcast app and like and follow Omaha Public Library on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time on The Book Drop. Book Drop.